Father, we love you so much tonight. We're so grateful that you're not a God that just saves us and kind of sets us on our journey and leaves us there to haphazardly come and go as we please. We're grateful that you don't save us and Lord, then if we mess up, that you leave us along the way. But we're grateful that you're merciful to our shortcomings. Anybody here tonight that's been saved for very long will have to admit they've had so many pitfalls and shortcomings of your glory. And we know the word sin means to miss the mark. And I remember years ago when I first would hear the prophet say that it wasn't sinners that sinned, but it was actually Christians. It used to just baffle me until I begin to understand what sin actually was. A sinner don't miss the mark. A sinner is a pig by nature. But a Christian who's been saved and who's been changed by the power of God, and when we miss the mark, we're so grateful that you're there for us to help us. Lord, we've come again tonight that we could be able to receive correction. We've come that we might be benefited We've come tonight, and not only can we receive, but we've come to give back to you, to worship you, to love you, to adore you, to praise you. Father, we pray you'd receive our worship tonight, Lord. Speak to us from your word, we ask, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Well, I'd like to add what Brother Louis said there a little bit earlier. I was... So blessed by Brother Tim Burdett being with us on Sunday. Wouldn't you, for those of you that were here. <clears throat> I just thought our brother done, <clears throat> done an outstanding job. And we were just so, so blessed by him, by him being here. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. We'll kind of continue on the same thought. It's not really his thought or not really my thought, but it's God's thought. So that's what makes it really good, ain't it? Now, it would seem as if, though, that he and I had talked and we'd kind of conversed together back and forth, some of the scriptures that he read, and, but I just love it when the Lord does that. 
you know, real men of God don't have to communicate and say, hey, brother, that's what you're preaching now. We'll kind of double up on them people. We'll beat the far out of them. You tell me what you're preaching, then I'll study along them same lines. You don't need a preacher like that. But you need men that will be led by the Holy Ghost. And they'll just follow the leading of the Lord, and it'll be right on time, won't it? Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, we're reading here actually what we just, what Harry just sung to us. The people of Israel had got away from their God. The entire uh, Old Testament is based upon renewing, backsliding, renewing, backsliding, renewing, backsliding, over and over again, one generation after another. And yet, this is a time frame here that we're looking at as well. Under the administration of Ezra, they have rebuilt the temple. But the temple was standing there, and there was no walls around it. Under Nehemiah, the Tirshatha, the governor, they've now rebuilt the walls. And they're going to require another consecration. And this is something I think that people fail to realize, that whenever they come to the Lord, that they consecrate themselves one time, and that's it. Oh, no. There's many consecrations. Remember when Brother Random was going out to seek the Lord and before the seals is ever revealed. Different times I've noticed it in his ministry that the Lord would tell him, consecrate yourself. Separate yourself. Something's fixing to happen. Now, it wasn't it Brother Random was out smoking, running around, committing adultery, lying, but he just needed to take a step just a little bit higher that would help him. That's the way the child of God walks. And this is where they were. That already had a great dedication service. But now they've got another one. And it's, it's a different time frame altogether. Because it's in the seventh month. And the seventh month was a great month of worship for the people of Israel. So they're fixing to go into the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And this, this is exactly when they finish the wall. Uh, to finish it in 52 days is an absolute miracle. And it finished exactly in the right sequence of time in the seventh month where they would be able to have these great feast days. But the people are rejoicing, or they're, they're lamenting and crying rather, and they're giving emotions, but it's the wrong emotion for the occasion. Now, instead of being happy and rejoicing, thanking God, they're weeping and they're crying. And, you know, part of the problem is that part of the elders remembered what the temple was before. And they got to saying, oh, my, oh, my, this ain't nothing. Come, oh, I, I remember, I, I remember, boy, it used to be this and that. And God said, y'all shut that up. Y'all shut that up right now. Y'all ought to be happy. Well, praise the Lord. Oh, my. So notice what happens now when the people hear the word. And what they're doing is having a revival of the book. Now, they're not rallying around a jawbone. They're not rallying around pitchers and candles and trumpets. But they're rallying around the word. A revival of the book. So they read... In the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people. Now, I want you to notice so we've got the governor, we've got the scribe, which is a priest. And then we've got the Levites. I love it when ministry can work together this way. 
Now, I was talking to some brothers not long ago, and I shared this with them because this is the way that I see it. Tonight, we are gathered here in this place, and this service is going to be like, sort of like, a one-room schoolhouse. So, there's people here who just, maybe just come to the Lord. There's people who's been saved for decades. There's people who's been saved for years and years and years. And the preacher has to try to get under the anointing to be able to preach to everybody from the kindergarten to the college grad. And it takes the Spirit of God to help you. So once you notice, there was the priest, Ezra, and there was the governor, so apparently they needed a little governmental training. And they needed the Levites, which were ministering in song, they needed all these different administrations, and there shouldn't be no cause for jealousy. Let me just explain something to you. As the pastor, I preach to the one-room schoolhouse. But it doesn't bother me at all that we need youth leaders. That don't mean I'm not doing my job. But that means I'm preaching to the one-room schoolhouse. But sometimes you need to hone it down a little bit closer to an age bracket. John wrote about the young men. Paul wrote about the widows. Search your Bible and see how that they would select certain things for certain needs of the people. Why? They were special needs for a special people. Now here we're finding the same thing. This day, now look what they told them. This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be you sorry. So tell me, how do you change your emotions just like turning a key? Okay, so you're crying, you're so sad, you're lamenting, you're feeling so heavy, and these guys stand up there and tell you, quit that. Stop. No, no, no. And then all of a sudden, you just reach in there and go, Dick. And you go for, ah, 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 well, hallelujah, glory, glow. You know what they had to do? They had to have confidence in these guys. They probably did, their emotions probably didn't just, bam, just, there it went. But they thought, you know what? These guys are called to lead us. So if they say, I ain't supposed to be crying, I'm supposed to be hollering. Then I'm going to holler. I'm going to rejoice. Whether I feel it or whether I don't. I'm going to rejoice because they're telling me I need to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. I wish some of y'all do that. Neither be you sorry for the joy of the Lord. It's your strength. 
This goes from the preacher in the pulpit to the deacon on the back wall, to those in the nurseries, to those that are streaming, wherever you are. The joy of the Lord is your strength. May the Lord bless his word. You may be seated. It's amazing the approach that God requires. I've never actually stood before kings or potentates. I did get to meet Mike Pence in Washington, D.C. and shake his hand and speak to him. I've met some different people in my life. And I'm sure every one of them, whenever Mike Pence come out, there were bodyguards all around him, people everywhere, so there was a protocol. And God has a protocol. And many times people think that they can approach God just on what they think or they feel or what mama said or daddy said. But in reality, the best way for us to approach the great king is to find out in his word what is his divine protocol. Now, if it is to crawl before him, I think every child of God would get down on their knees and crawl, would we not? If God said every time you come before me in prayer, don't raise your head, don't look up, do not call me Father, but call me God. Do not raise your eyes, which you're not supposed to do to some kings. It was forbidden. Then if that is divine protocol, I want to know it so I don't get in trouble. But I don't just want to skip trouble. What I want to do is please him. By the way, I want to come and be able to approach him in a way that is pleasing to him. And I believe that Esther taught us a great lesson many, many centuries ago. That was when she, it was her turn to come before the king. Every other woman that received this privilege to come before the king, and they were allowed to go into the treasury of the king. So they could pick out a ring, a necklace, a bracelet, a crown, whatever they wanted, they could pick it out. If they wanted more than one thing, they could pick it out. If they felt like this adorned their person and would make them more acceptable to the king, they could have it and they could also keep it afterwards. But to me, Esther displayed a great understanding about protocol. She did not just go in there and look for the most shiny or that which had the purest gold or what had the most diamonds or the most rubies or the most pearls. But she wanted to know from her chamberlain, her teacher, who had taught her about the presence of the king because he had been in the presence of the king and he knew what the king liked. So she did not want to approach the king on her own understanding. And what can I get that will make me appear more beautiful? What could I wear? What could I put on? What could I do to impress the king? 
but rather Esther wanted to know from Haggai, what is the king like? What would the king want to see me in? What is the king's makeup? Tell me what he is so I can know what to pick. The problem with the people in this age being Laodiceans, they won't receive God's chamberlain for this age. They won't receive the one who spent so much time in his divine presence, but they still want to approach God in the way they think. Well, I think God likes this, and I think God wants that, and I think God accepts this, and God accepts that. God don't care about how you dress, and God don't care about how you look. Well, the problem with that is, if people come to God on that basis, and he does, that means every one of them are totally rejected. If God does care about what you look like, if God does care about your dress and your hair and so on and so on, and people go ahead and approach him anyway, and they go to church and they live under the auspices of the title of a Christian, and they think it doesn't really matter, and then whenever they approach him, they found out they have lived decades of their life contrary to his requirement. You talking about disappointed people at the judgment. So for me, and I trust for you, I don't want to live my life for years. Many of you have been saved longer than I have, but I know for myself, I'll be 66, Lord willing, in July, which means that I've been saved for 44 years. 44 years, older than some of you all are. I don't want to live all of this life in vain and stand before the Lord and him say to me, depart from me. I never even knew you. I don't want to preach and study and pray for the sick and give my life and come to the end of the way and wind up missing the whole thing. Do you all? Does any of you all want to do that? You want to miss it? Well, how, how can we be sure, Brother Donnie, we can go to his word and find out what does he require? And I can't trust denominations because all them are set up by men. And they ever one different one from the other. I just can't put my confidence in that. I must have it in something that he himself has sent, which is his word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, my grandma, I, I know I, I had two good grandmas too, but one believed one thing and the other believed something else. And then no uncle, so I had some good uncles. One believed one thing, one believed something else. Which one am I gonna follow? To be honest with you, I'm not gonna follow neither one of them. I wanna come right back to thus saith the Lord. Amen. Because myself, if God has a protocol, I do not want to fit into Mark chapter 7, where Jesus said, how be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Now, can you imagine how many millions of people down through the ages will fit into that category because they taught for doctrine the commandments of men. Now, the Bible would say, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ but they say titles are okay. Yeah. 
They say, well, it don't matter what you look like. It don't matter about this. So they will stand before God at that day and they will say, Lord, we sent missionaries overseas. We've done this and that and the other. And the Lord Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me. I never even knew you, friend. I, I don't want to be that way myself. I don't want to be that way. Let me just be honest with you tonight. If I felt like this message was wrong, I would forsake it tonight. I would walk away and never look back again. But until you can prove that you've got something better, I'm going to stick with right where I am. That's right. Because my soul is at stake, not only mine. Look at all the hundreds of souls I have to answer for at the day of judgment. This is just a visible audience, and we've got streamers all over the world that consider this church their home church. I have to answer for people in Durban. I have to answer for people in Kenya, in Nairobi, in France, in Switzerland, in Canada. You think that don't worry me to death? You think that don't put me under such pressure that sometimes I feel like I'm about to lose my mind? Knowing I've got to stand before God and answer to God for people in Iceland and Greenland and all over the world, if I preach to them something wrong and lead them astray, that God will hold me responsible for it? I'm not standing here tonight because I think this is something really nice to do. I believe this with all of my soul. Amen. I am willing to stand before Almighty God and give an account for what I have preached and what I believe this very night. Are you? Amen. Amen. Now, in that, this is why that I approach it. Oh, well, you know, you're doing it because Brother Tim does it. No, I love Brother Tim. He's one of my best friends. Brother Ron is one of my best friends. Brother Fred Mullins is one of my best friends. Brother Darrell and Brother West and these other brothers. I love them, but if I felt like they were wrong, I would walk away because my own soul is at stake. So I want to know the protocol by which we're able to approach God and it will be accepted. And we know in doing that, that God has a way that we come into his presence and we are accepted. Now, Hannah shared a couple of uh, scriptures with me this week and I was just so blessed by it that I wanted to share it with you. It's in the little big book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter three, verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, Neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the foal, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Now this is what he said after all of that dilemma that he would do in verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now I want you to think about this. It's very hard for us, of course, being here in our civilization and our culture to be able to relate to the value of what I just read to you in verse 17 because most of us don't have a fig tree. Most of us do not care whether they bloom or don't bloom. I mean, we really don't even know nothing about a fig tree. We don't really know about the blossom or this or that or the other. But let me relate it in the way that you would be able to understand it. Let me just say it this way. Although you go to Food City and there are no groceries on the shelves, or you go to Walmart or to Sam's or Kroger, 
And then you go from backup to Aldi. And then you go to Country Mart. And you go to your favorite place here and there and there. And there's not only any fruit in the vines, there's no fruit in the produce section. And the labor of the olive shall fail. Now, unlike us, they use the olive for so many things, for oil and for eating and for a lot. So let's say that there's no mazola. There's no corn oil, no almond oil, no coconut oil. There's no oil. Are you still going to rejoice? Well, praise the Lord. And the field shall yield no meat. So now the produce is gone. The fruits of the vine are gone. Now you're moving out into the cereal crops. So there's no wheat. There's no barley. There's no rye. There's no corn. Would any of us still be praising God at that time? Or would we be heading for Walgreens to try to find some kind of script to help us deal with all the depression? Now, notice the flock shall be cut off from the fold. Don't you understand that Habakkuk, when he's writing this, he's writing about their daily food. He's writing about everything they do. They were not, many of them did not have jobs in that day the way we do today. There was no such thing as, as catalytic converters. There was no such thing as, you know, uh, somebody that set up on a, on a big place and made aluminum wheels. There was no aluminum wheels. Nobody worked at the Ford plant or the GM plant or Chrysler, but they provided themselves. So they had their own little small acreage and they had their own little gardens and their own trees. One of the first things they do when they come into the land of Canaan was to plant their trees. One of the first things the enemy would do was cut their trees down. Their trees was their livelihood. So if the trees were gone, hey, they did not have a deep freeze. They had no electricity. You know what? The swan truck didn't run by their house every Tuesday afternoon. The Amazon had not yet set up their great distribution things all over the land of Canaan. They're there now, but they wasn't there when this was written. So you cannot order something prime this afternoon and have it delivered on your doorstep. That still just marvels me how you can order something and in the morning it's sent right there. You know, it's like, how do they do that? How do they do that? Well, they didn't do that in this day. If you didn't have it, you know what? If your neighbor didn't have it, so you're going through this, your neighbor's going through this, you have no figs, you have no produce, you have no barley, no grain, no rye, no oats, no cereals, your cattle are all gone. Oh my, what is there left? But these people still found something to praise God for. Now notice, look at this in the entire volume now with all this together. Although the fig tree shall not blossom. Now you know if you understand anything about the fig, that the fig, this is the stage of it. And we know down the south in Florida and places like that, whenever there comes, whenever the coal will come down and whenever the orange blossoms and the grapefruit and so on, if it's right on there, if they do not sprinkle that, if the temperatures are going to get down cold at night and they do not put water on that and be able to cause that to freeze, the frost will actually 
absolutely kill it. What difference does a blossom make? If it kills a blossom, there won't hardly be no oranges or grapefruit. Now, let me relate it so most of you can relate to it. In other words, when you go to the grocery store to buy an orange, you're going to pay four times. Boy, that got some of y'all's attention. Your wallet jumped, didn't it? Well, that's about the only way any of us can relate to it. But you see, for them, this was what they did. This was in their backyard. This was not Food City. It was not Kroger. It was not Ingalls. So whenever they went out there and the fig tree was not blossoming, there was no bloom. Oh, Lord. Then that means there's no figs that year. This is just a precursor of what they're looking for. But there's no blossom, there's no bloom. There will be no figs. If there's nothing, what in the world am I gonna do? I don't know, but I do know this one thing I'm gonna do. I will rejoice in the Lord. Well, what in the world did they have to rejoice about? Because they could still rejoice in the Lord. Do you understand what a blessing it is that you can still rejoice? <laughs> you still ain't getting it. Notice this, the olive shall fail and the field shall yield no meat and the flock shall be cut off from the foal and there shall be no herd in the stall. So they go out and the trees are all bare. They go to the vegetables and the vegetables are all brown and they look in the stalls and my, what happened to the goats? What happened to the sheep? What happened to the camels? There's nothing there at all. This is the entirety of their livelihood. They they did not have a 401k. They did not have a retirement. They didn't have any of that. They was not like us to be able to put it back and freeze it and you know, be able to do this and that. If they didn't have it in the spring, they were starving in the winter. And yet, they was able to find a way to rejoice. Oh my, listen to this verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon my high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Oh my. How many here tonight wants to be that kind of child of God? So you open your refrigerator. I mean, there ain't even a box of baking soda in it. There ain't one drink, there ain't one splash of butter, there ain't no maple syrup, there ain't absolutely nothing. You open up the pantry, it's as bare as I don't know what. You look in your wallet, there ain't not one dime there. Your credit cards, you just got the statement from it day before yesterday, and you're already past your limit on it. How many of us will say, well, I'm quitting serving God? Brother, that's the very time you need to serve him. You need help. You really need help. And I can guarantee you the devil ain't going to help him when you get in a hard spot. But yet, why it's amazing to me how we are so close to the end. We can almost see the lights of that city and yet we've got people turning away at this stage of the journey. I've got to say, I just cannot comprehend that. I cannot comprehend all that we've come through, all that we've been through as believers, as a church, as an assembly, as a move sent from God, and yet we've got people that are turning away now, not me. I want to run my last mile home. Amen. Don't put me in no wheelchair and push me there. I want to run as fast as I can run. I want to run with all of my strength and all of my light, don't you? With everything within me. 
Now, what's this God revealing himself to his people in 1950? The prophet says it this way, the word is the seed. Is that right? That a sower sowed in the ground and every seed will bring forth of its kind. If you need salvation, the seed's here. If you need healing, here's the seed in the word. The word of God is a seed put in your heart. Don't dig it up every morning to see if it's sprouted. Put it in there and leave it in there. But that's very hard for us to do. It's so hard for us to put it in the ground. We all want quick sprouts. Now, I've had a deer problem there at the house this last year, and it started in the fall, and I got some worms in the yard there, and boy, they killed some spots in my grass, and I started reseeding it about uh, late September, early October, something like that, so I got a, a real fast seed that would germinate really, really fast, and I got it with a pre-mixed mulch type stuff in it, so I sowed it, and I fixed them spots, and boy, I watered it, and man, that sun was kicked right around, you know, on that fall equinox, it was hitting it every day because it's normally a shady spot. That grass come up in about seven or eight days. I mean, I sowed that so thick because I like really, really thick grass and the thicker you sow it, you know, it comes up one sprout at a time, especially with 31 fescue. If you sow it by itself, kind of separate, it'll bunch and make it really hard. So I like it really, really thick. So it'll come up one here, one there, one here, one there. It just makes an absolutely beautiful lawn. Well, not only do I like it, but apparently the neighborhood deer herd did too. Well, they got in there and they found that. And I had a spot over here and one over there and one over here and one over there. And then a great old big spot down there. And them rascals, them dearly beloved little creatures of God, them things got in there. They was not after that grass. But somehow there must have been something in that mulch blend, Brother Rob, that was either a salt, I don't know exactly, I don't know what it was. But they got in there, Not I wouldn't have minded them eating a little breakfast and nipping the top off that fresh grass. But they took their hooves and pounded and dug that stuff up, plumbed down to the ground. That was time one. So I get in there and I dig it all over. It's so beautiful. I told Carol, oh, you ought to see the grass. It is so pretty. I go out the next day and I come in. I told her, I said, something has torn my grass all to pieces. She said, what was it, squirrels? I said, it ain't no squirrels. It's deer prints in there. I'm fixing to hunt that deer out of season. <laughs> well, I did it time two, time three, time four. And I did time five just week before last. Guess what? It was so beautiful day before yesterday. Oh my, I mean, it was coming up that and I was down there just smiling like a possum. And I was watering that grass and I thought, oh, they're not gonna do it this time. But yesterday morning I walked out there and you know what? The neighborhood deer party had been back. Now, I don't blame them because they're looking for something to eat. But what did I want? I wanted grass that would grow fast. Now, I'm either gonna have to rig me up a booby trap or set me a tent down there with my shotgun in my hand or something in order to keep them little sorry outfits out of that grass because I want them spots took care of in my yard. Well, that's the way I am when it comes to my walk with the Lord Jesus. I don't want no ball spots in my yard, do you? 
I don't want no bald spots in my walk with God and have a beautiful thing over here on predestination and then have a big old bald spot here on holiness and sanctification. I don't want to look like I've got the plague or something. I want to be fully green all over. Oh my, so you know what I've done? I got down there today. Again, they was not just clipping the top of that grass. They must have been seven or eight of them from the looks of the size of the hooves and they got in there, that ground looks like plowed ground because they got in there and tronked and tronked. I'm warning you all, don't you tell them, but I'm gonna fix me up a little pepper spray for the little darlings. I'm not sure if they like pepper flavored grass, but they're gonna get them some. But let me tell you something, we've got another herd that wants to try to rob us of the blessings of God in our lives. It's that old stinking rotten devil and all of his troops out of hell. He's got an old herd of sorriness and low down and all that sort of thing. And he's got one of sadness and depression and all kinds of things. And they want to come around and claw around and just dig every bit of your work that you've done. But brother, sister, I'm telling you tonight, we have got a way that we can stand on God's word and sow that seed in our heart and let God's word come up and you stand there watching that devil because he will come. Oh my. Notice the prophet said, don't dig it up every morning to see if it sprouted. Put it in there and leave it there. It's God's business to bring forth the harvest. You just leave it there. Now, wonder what you do. Water it by faith and praise every day. Thanking God for it. Now, here is the water. Well, wait a minute, Brother Donnie. I thought God provided the water. That's where we're missing some of this. It's because we're thinking God's going to pretty much do it all. But we have to do something ourselves. I bought me a little box at the end of November. One of them little green yard boxes. It's one of them howling, hooting, hollering, screaming boxes. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's supposed to work for coons. It's supposed to work for deer. It's supposed to work for all kinds of things. So I set it really high and really sensitive. So I set it down there and I bought two other little things and they come on and they've got little red looking eyes. They look like a demon sort of. And I put them down there in that other yard thing and you know what them deer done? They went right around them little spooks and eat that grass anyhow. Well, that's the way the devil will try to do you and keep you from the blessing of God. Oh, you're a crazy. Oh, you're in a cult. You're this or that or the other. Just go right around that old squawking box devil and get what God has promised for you in his word. He'll do everything he can to scare you away from it. Oh, praise the Lord. It's God's business to bring forth a harvest, but you just leave it there. Water it by faith and praise every day. Now, not once a week, not once a month, but every day. My, my. Water it with faith and praise every day, thanking God for it. All right. Look at this. Show us the Father. Uh, he's talking about making reference to the people at Pentecost. What they was doing, just sitting around saying, well, I see what will happen. You can't water it that way. If you say, well, yeah, I believe in divine healing. Oh, sure, I see it's in the Bible. That's not the way to get healed. You mean just acknowledging it's in the Bible is not enough? You might have the seed, but you've got to water it. 
Now the Bible said when they were in the upper room, they were blessing and thanking and praising God. Why? Praising him because they knew it was coming. Praise God. I heard Brother Ram this week talking about the prayer line that he had whenever he's in South Africa, I think 1951, maybe something like that. I stood a few years ago down there where he was at, at the motel where he stayed, and uh, some of the people that was there got to hear some of their stories and things. And he, he, he prayed for a man that had a little boy that was club-footed. And he said his little old feet was twisted. The man come in the prayer line and brought his little boy. Brother Ram said the next day he went down the street and he said he saw that man in a shoe store. And he said he stood up there and watched what was going on. Now the little baby was no better. But he said he was buying his baby a pair of shoes. Why? He planted the seed and he was watering it. He was buying a pair of shoes. If the devil said you're going to die before next week, plan a vacation. For November. Hallelujah. Oh, but by the devil, all this, and he just scares us today. Yeah, you got one of them little boxes there, and they do a better job than they do on the deer, dear you. They scare you to death. And you go, well, oh no, the devil told me that. Why, has the devil started working for God now? You mean God has stooped so low that he has to hire the devil to deliver messages to you, his kids? And the devil told you you're going to die. And the devil told you this. And the devil told you that. I taunt him with that all the time. Every time he comes and tells me something like that, I said, so are you working for God now? Have you got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and you are now God's messenger? Oh, he can't stand that. He leaves me alone. He nearly trips over himself. Come on now. But how many of us will listen to him and believe his lies? If God's got something to say to me, he's showing I ain't gonna use that liar to say it. If God's got something to say to me and you, he can tell us himself. Praise God. Oh my. Notice he says, they just watered that seed. That's what they done there on the day of Pentecost. They were blessing and thanking and praising God. Why? Praising him because they knew it was coming. For they had the seed in their heart, God's promise. God's promise is the seed. Notice again, paragraph 36, if you can receive God's word in your heart and water it with praises and thanks to God for giving it to you, it will grow into a tree or whatever the seed represents, healing, salvation, whatever it is, that tree will blossom, but you've got to drink. You've got to water it and feed it and let it grow. The more you trust in God, if you're in a wheelchair, now you're talking about simple but powerful, and in the hospital and you're so paralyzed that you cannot even move but one finger. Just keep moving that one finger. Keep moving that one finger to the glory of God. You can't move your head, you can't move your neck, you can't move nothing else. Glory to God. Glory to God. If if you'll be moving on, pretty soon you'll keep watering it, pushing out, growing, getting bigger and bigger. Take God's word. It's a seed. So what do we do? Pour the water on it. Is it any wonder Satan wants to shut up your praise? How many of y'all is asking God for things? 
certain promises, certain things that God, well, oh, our Satan heard you pray that. He heard you sow that seed. You sow that seed. God, I believe you. Praise God. I believe you. It's all right. The seed is God's seed. It's his word. I've done dealt with that for thousands of years. He said, I can't stop that seed, but I need to get into the channel of irrigation. I need to break into the water supply of those children of God. So I'll cause COVID. I'll cause this and that and the other. I'll make them so sad, so heavy, so weary, so down, so low. They won't even hardly have nothing to praise God for no more. They won't hardly even raise their hands in church, out of church. They won't hardly even say, glory to God, it's good to be a child of God. And they're saying, Lord, what's wrong? And God's saying, it ain't me, it's you. You're not watering. Oh, praise the Lord. Notice this. God received, gave Abraham a promise as we've been studying. And Abraham let that seed get into his heart. The promise. And kept watering it with praises. And thanks given to God for the child and waited 25 seconds. Oh no, I'm sorry, that's, that's our version. We're microwave Christians. We open the door, stick the promise of God in, 30 seconds, I mean, we think God's promise is like popcorn. So we just push the popcorn button and praise God. Here we are, full grown, fully mature. That ain't the way God does it. God still makes Christians the same way. Slow, like a sloth. How are you doing? I'm not going to glory to God. Holy, I'll tell you one thing. I'm really shouting to God. So God said, whoop, 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 whoop. Slow down. He said, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm trying to do better. I'm, hey, man, I'm. God said, no, no, no. I still make Christians the same old-fashioned way. Trials, tests. I mold them for years. Decades, I mold them. Praise the Lord. Now we've got a lot of modern message versions. That's why they leave. Oh yeah, you know they get saved and in six months they want to be in the pulpit and in six or seven months they want to be a pastor in a church. Well according to the Bible, there was a stipulation that a man which was a young guy could not pastor a church. Young and experienced. Sorry, sorry you didn't know that. That's according to the Bible. Is that right? So you see God wanted them to be tempered God wants his children to be like Habakkuk to where that there's nothing, nowhere, and yet they say, praise be to God. It's so good to be a child of God. Lord, if it wasn't for you, I'd probably blow my brains out. Lord, if it wasn't for you, I don't entertain what in the world I'd do, Lord. I couldn't stand the pressure. But a child of God said, amen, the move is on. If it don't come today, it'll be tomorrow. I'm looking for my miracle today. If it don't come by midnight, 1201, well, we'll start a brand new day. Maybe it'll be on Thursday instead of on Wednesday. I'm not sure when it's coming, but I know it's coming because I believe him. I've received the promise and I'm watering it. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. He waited for 25 years, but the tree came forth just the same because. Now listen. It didn't come forth just because God was God. It came forth because he watered it with faith. Praise the Lord. What if Abraham would have took it look like 25 years waiting for a promise that God gave him? 
Why he never had that baby? He had never been the father of little Isaac, but he believed God's word and wouldn't turn it loose. He watered it day and night. Strong. Now he wasn't a Methodist. Man, he got out that big bucket. What if I praise him too much? Well, if you do, let me know. I don't think we could ever praise him even enough, much less too much. He watered it day and night strong, giving praise to God. Oh, when Sarah would say, honey, it's been 25 years since the promise was made. Here I am, nearly 100. (laughs) He'd say, praise God. We're gonna have it anyhow because God said so and that settles it. That's right. He knew the nature of God because he, oh my, he knew the nature of God because he was a friend of God. Lord God, let that be said about me and you. Thank you, Lord. He knew how to take him. He knew divine protocol. He knew that God would make a promise, but God wouldn't do it all. And he'd leave the water department up to him. And he'd have to water it with feelings, without feelings, when he was up, when he was down. No doubt it wasn't hard to water it when everything was going good. But when the grass was drying up and Sarah was complaining and Lot and all of his group was having all the split among the church stuff, oh my, it must have been really hard to praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. What a great day. Oh, I thank you, Lord God. Oh, no. Notice this. He knowed how to take him because he knew that his promises, how foolish they looked or how simple they looked or how unreasonable they looked, they were true because God said so. And that settled it forever. That's the way every seed of Abraham does today. That's the way the born-again Christian does today. No matter what the world says, what science says, what they say, this or that or the other, God's word stands above it all. And they're looking at his word and what he said to be the truth. Praise God. Hallelujah. Think of it, friends. We are right in a position that we've never been before. You see the word nuclear in our news every day. Every day they're talking and this one's threatening this and this one's threatening that. Do you understand? If this is the time, it could happen tomorrow. Do you understand where we are? That if Russia gets ready to set their bombs toward us, that we could be gone by tomorrow, not this time? Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, Brother Donnie, what if he don't? Well, if he don't, they'll get rid of him and get the Russian in there They're supposed to do it. Notice this in the fifth seal. Notice Rebecca. When the servant of Abraham, Eliezer, when he come to get Rebecca, she mounted up on her camel. The very camel she watered. And she rode this camel to meet her unseen bridegroom. The very thing she watered was the thing that took her to her future home and husband. 
Don't you understand? Whenever he comes among us and we worship him and we water the anointing and we water the presence of God, you are watering the very power that's going to change your body in the rapture. I don't understand people that don't want to do that. Can you imagine then how the Holy Spirit feels whenever people just stand there? I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. I ain't worshiping. I ain't praising. I ain't doing it. Oh, goodness. So does that mean whenever the rapture comes, he'll come by you and say, I ain't doing it. I ain't changing you. I ain't changing your body because you never watered me and I ain't changing you. Oh, Lord, I want to water him because I want to change. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. I want to water him. Oh, my. It's the same thing today. The very thing, the church is watering. That is the seed, the seed of the word. It's the very word that becomes alive and carries us to our unseen bridegroom. Notice the same thought in question answer 64. The very camel she watered was the camel that packed her to her bridegroom and all of her success. And the very camel, the very power, beast in the Bible represents a power, and the very power that we give water and praise to, amen, say water, life, praise to the word, is the very thing that packs us into the glory land to meet our bridegroom. Notice this, I love this. 1965, God's power to transform. God said, he that will forsake his own father, mother, wife, husband, homes, houses, I'll give them homes and houses, I'll give them brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, all that in the world, eternal life on the world to come. It's a promise, friend, and it's got to be watered. Every promise God makes comes to pass. Every seed is a promise. Now, Brother Tim went this direction referring to the scripture in Psalms 22.3. But I'd like to look at it just a little differently. But thou art worthy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. You know, the habitation of a king in a natural parallel is the house, the place that the king would live is a reflection of his wealth, his power, his dignity. Now I was reading today where Putin has got one of the largest, most elaborate yachts in the world. Several swimming pools on this yacht Salons, spas, the main swimming pool, and it is as large as this church, and it has a floor that goes back like this and closes together if they wish for it to, and it turns into a dance floor. It's overlaid in marble, the toilet paper holders. Now, I saw a picture of this today. They have a little cover that goes over the toilet paper itself, solid gold. The average Russian 
makes approximately, an equivalent to U.S. dollars, $6,600 a year. Now they say that Putin is one of the richest men in the world. And he's gone through all these different channels to be able to hide his wealth. Yet, if you've ever seen inside of his palace where he lives and some of the things of his residences and as I said, the yacht and things that he owns, what does it display? It displays the proportion of wealth that he wants to project about himself. So he lives in a world of gold and marble and gems. He lives and he's surrounded. He inhabits these palaces and he owns a place, of course, in Jerusalem and owns many different apartments and things like that in different parts of the earth. So the king would want to reflect the place that he lives now, you can imagine you would go to a, a great king of some country, and as you know, some of the, the Europeans still have a king. There's a king in Norway and a king in different places. Uh, the royalty, of course, still in Britain is basically just a figurehead. But if you went to Buckingham Palace and you went inside there and you walked there and there was an old lean-to of a shack and you asked to use the bathroom. And they said, well, the bathroom is outside. It's an outside toilet right over there. That's where the queen goes. And then you say, oh, where, where do y'all get the water? Well, we have to go outside and uh, we've got an old sucker pump out there and the butler gets out there in his tuxedo and he goes to say, well, you think, now wait a minute, that, that, that ain't right. That, that is not fitting for the queen of England. So the queen of England doesn't even have to dress herself. She, there's no telling how many years it's been since she's cooked a decent meal because she don't have to. Because in the way that they relate position and dignity and honor to who she is, she is the queen. So the place that they would live, so they would have a place there. She has many different castles and places in Scotland and in Ireland and many different places. And what does that signify? That signifies the wealth of the crown, as they call it. So this is the status by which the status quo would be judged. So that if you would go to a certain king and you'd go up there and he lived in a little single wide trailer, a little 12 or 60, and uh, you know, he had tacky buttons on the wall and you could throw a tomcat through his windows and uh, you know, the refrigerator, it wouldn't stay shut. Um, and you say, Lord have mercy, what in the world? And this is the king of, of uh, you know, wherever it is. And you say, man, this must be a poor country. So you would judge the wealth of the country by the dignity of the habitation of the king. Now, whenever people then would come to Putin, and I've heard uh, some of the interviews of those who have interviewed Putin and talked about how he would treat them and how he would put on, you know, the dogs, we say, and how they would just have these big fancy meals and this and that and the other. I doubt very seriously anybody's ever been served a bologna and cheese sandwich. Why? Because he wants them to leave there and say, man, I ain't never been treated so nice in my life because it is fitting for a person of that status to be able to treat one in this way. Now, can you imagine then that God inhabits or dwells the praises of his people? So there must be something about praise that would be equivalent to splendor 
in a palace. Because this king, we're not talking about just a king that's just really, not really have much power, but just there as a, you know, just a role model. But we're talking about the king of the universe. So what kind of a palace would the king of the universe live in? And, and yet David said that he inhabited the praises of Israel, so this would be the house, as it were, that he would live in. Praise. Well, my goodness, I mean, what type of, let me say these words, opulence. I mean, I've seen some of these places in, in England and different parts of the world that I've been, and oh my, the architecture. And, and the woodwork and the carved stone and all, all of that that is there because they, it may take them years and years. Remember Solomon, whenever he, he built the house of the Lord and then he built his house. And he built and it, it reflected who Solomon was. And then when the Queen of Sheba came, she saw his house and she saw the servants and she saw the architecture and she saw the house of God. And all of that to her really spoke of what a position that God gave this man. You know, I don't understand church people's thinking that they think that they should be able to live in a house that costs millions of dollars. But when it comes to building a church, you can't hardly get them to give nothing. Well, I guess we might as well go to the house on that statement. I don't understand your thinking. I don't understand that you think your old carcass deserves something so fine and God deserves just a heap of rubbish. Well, come on now. So do you think higher of yourself than you do God? You wanna have the very best of carpet and the very best of this and granite and tile and marble and so on and so on. And yeah, oh, let's just go, let's just have a dirt floor in the church. Let's be humble. Well, humble start with your house first, Mr. Humble. You're a hypocrite. I said, you're a hypocrite. Oh my, it's gotta be all high society and everything else for you. And you wanna give God the very cheapest thing, everything you can come from Walmart or from big lots and it fall in in five years? There's something wrong with your understanding. Notice then, so the splendor of the palace would be in proportion. Of course, those type of people naturally would put on to one another and they would want to outdo the other, but our God is not concerned about outdoing anyone since there's no one like him. Who would be mightier than our father? So for him to choose a residence of praise, God would choose a residence of praise as the royal residence. Oh, praise the Lord. So it would not be all overlaid with gold and silver as we say as a natural king, but yet it would be matching to his position and it would be one that would bring him dignity. So don't get in your mind that well God, God just takes praise because God knows we're just giving him the junk. No, you're the one that looks at it as junk. He does not look at your praise as junk. I'd say there's not a person in this building starting with me that really understands what praise from a sincere heart means to Almighty God. 
I hope somebody gets this revelation tonight and then maybe somebody get it next Wednesday and somebody next Wednesday. If we do, we'll never praise him the same and we'll never stop praising him. If somebody here in this building will get this tonight or somebody streaming it, the devil will never stop you praising God again. I don't care what he ever does to you. But somehow we know, well, this is all I've got. And we belittle it and we, we take away from it. And you see, we have a full right to expect the residence of royalty to be something that would be equivalent to his great position. You agree with that? So the Lord God, now whenever we talk about heaven, of course, and we look at the beautiful paradise that he's gone, look, friend, the Lord ain't got some asphalt company up there. Uh, the Lord ain't got Brother Keith or one of these brothers up there with a backhoe and a track hole. And, you know, hey, hey, juju a little bit with me on that price. You knock, you knock 75 cents off on the air. And, and instead, of using, uh, instead of using gold, could we go with asphalt? Is concrete any cheaper? And whenever John looked there, he didn't see no concrete trucks, but he saw streets made of gold and walls of jasper and gates of pearl. So it is quite a place that we are going to. But now what we're talking about is the spiritual sanctuary by which the Lord God lives and where he's chosen to dwell among his people. You see, the praises of his people have replaced the cherubims of gold. Praises of his people have replaced the cherubims that are looking at each other. So it's yours bouncing off of mine, bouncing off of yours, bouncing off of yours. And he's dwelling right there over the mercy seat of our praise and our love and our adoration. Praise the Lord. So the residence of the monarch would display the index of his wealth and his position and his dignity and opulence and honor and so on and so on. In this proportion, he could be judged. A king would be judged by the revenues of his kingdom. So if the king was so poor, he had to rent. So where's your king's house? Oh, he lives down that shanty over there. He pays $75 a month. And that's the king of this kingdom? Yeah, he's the king. He's the main man. I can't imagine what everybody else lives in. So can you imagine our king? He could have chose Moscow. He could have chose Jeffersonville. He could have chosen London, Paris, Hollywood. But he said, I choose praise. Now, not just any praise, but praise from the hearts that have been washed, sanctified, purified, and sealed by the Holy Ghost. And when they begin to offer this praise, he enters into his residence. 
So it's not doorknobs of gold and great massive trims over the doors. And my, I love ornate trim. I, I love, I love big wide crown molding and all that sort of thing. And I've, I've, I've looked at pictures and, and videos of some of the castles in Europe and Germany and, and uh, some of you that's been to, you know, over to Asheville and look at George Vanderbilt's big place and wow, what a place that is. That ain't nothing like me being down on my knees for five minutes in the presence of God. Now I figured that house that Mr. George Vanderbilt built would be the only house that a man and his wife and their daughter and son-in-law could live in that house because you'd never run into one another except maybe two weeks at a time. And that'd be about the end of it. But can you imagine when a child of God in the middle of hell gets down? Oh, they ain't got no flocks. They ain't got no oil. They ain't got no food. They ain't got this and they got that. But they get into the presence of God and they're going to worship it and love and adoring. And the king is beckoned by their voice and the king moves into this royal residence and he says, this place is fit for a king. This place is fit, not for a king, but the king. Oh, you imagine the great ornate carvings, whether it would be wood or stone. Some of the greatest master builders that could be sought that you would want to build the palace for the king of England or the queen or Denmark or Norway. Oh, and what did Papa do? Papa said, I'm gonna choose off of my hand a five-fold. And I will give them apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They will take my protocol and break it down to my people. And they will start molding. They will start chipping off. They will start working together as a body. Can you imagine the mind, M-I-N-E, that all of us were hewn from? When Solomon made an agreement with king of Hiram, Hiram, and they made a pact between themselves that they would have hewers of wood and they would cut down the cedars of Lebanon. And he also made an agreement with Hiram that they would send certain men that could hew the stone. And they hewed those stones at the church, I mean the quarry. And when they brought them, glory to God, to put them together to make the house of God, there wasn't even the sound of a hammer on that resurrection morning. But where did they get beat and shaped? Now remember, they did not have CAD drawings. They did not have architects the way we do today and software, but they cut out them stones for the house of God at the quarry and they were so perfect that when they brought them together, it fit absolutely stone upon stone, one upon another. Don't you understand, children, why we come to the house of God? The house of God is like a rock quarry and say so you're supposed to be this size and when you start out, you're as big as this church. This is the hard time that God has with a lot of people. Boy, they look around and say, man, look how big I am. Glory to God, hallelujah. 
I guess I'm the whole thing, ain't I? Well, praise God. I always knew there's more to me than what I thought there was. I hope not. Because you already think you hung the moon. But what you don't know is you're starting out like this, but your little predestinated slot when God gets done is about this big. Oh my, it hurts every inch of the way to get from there to this. How many can say amen? But you see, it's when we start out big and we realize how big we are and say, glory to God, no doubt I'm gonna get bigger and bigger. No, actually, this works the other way around here. He hews on us and hews on us and cuts off our pride, cuts off our arrogance, cuts off this and that and the other because it ain't about us. It's not about your opinion or my opinion. It's about bringing honor to the glory of our king. All of us are cut out of the quarry of humanity to make this great divine cathedral of the almighty God that will display his excellence of his majesty and the opulence of his glory. And when he gets done and whenever he calls it all together, there will be saints gathered together from around the world. How will they be there? The same way you got there, the grace of God. Oh. So his empire covers all space, time, and eternity. And he says, this is my residence. Praise. So when a child of God says, I love you, Jesus, and the angels are saying, Father, say it again, Donnie. Jesus, you are so good. You're so wonderful. I love you so much. You've been so good to me, Lord. What does that do? Cause the king into his royal residence. You see, angels praised him at the dawn of the original creation. Angels were actually made and fell before the foundation of the earth. Right. So they praised him as the universe expanded. They praised him and adored him. It must have been awesome as the Logos went out and every planet, every star, they just kept going and going. I saw a picture this week of that in the new Webb telescope and the star, one of the ancient, ancient stars that they found so far as they're unfolding all their mirrors and, and getting the light. And it actually doesn't look like a round thing, but it actually looks like the star with all the things coming from it. And then they're dating it, you know, many, many millions of years on back. And whenever they did that, the angels were praising at the first creation. I wasn't there to do that. But I praise him now because of the new creation. I wasn't there when he made the stars. But I was here when he made the new me. Praise. I wasn't there when he spoke the universe when he said, let there be light. But I was there when he spoke little me into existence. I rejoice in the second creation. And my voice, I hope you understand, my voice superseded theirs. Because I'm the voice of the redeemed. You see, it come from 
the secrecies of God's great being. His magnificence that was thrown open to see his greatness. And little mama gets down on her knees. She ain't a theologian. She probably couldn't quote five quotes word for word to save her life. Probably couldn't quote 10 scriptures word for word to save her life. But when she goes to calling on the name of the Lord, goes to blessing his name, she can call him right there. I'll tell you one thing, friends. It was not the theologians in the New Testament that ever stopped Jesus in his tracks. It was not the great scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees that the Lord Jesus performed. Show me one of them that ever got a miracle from God. It was the Bartimaeus. It was the harlots. It was the woman with five husbands. It was the people that had a need and saw their need. And they had faith to stop him. I ain't worried about being a theologian. I want to have enough faith to stop him, brother. We don't want to bring our young people up and instill them in all the, just the mechanics of the message. Well, we believe serpent seed and we believe this, we believe that. We want that, but we want them to meet God. Amen. Oh, we're all for fellowship. All oh, fellowship is good. We love it all, but it takes more than fellowship. That's right. The devil was God's right-hand man to fellowship, and you see where he's at. So it takes more than fellowship. It's fellowshipping with God. Let's stand. We'll pick it up again. Lord willing. The ever-ascending praises of his people becomes the throne of the great king. Can't you see when I want you and I try to lead you in praise the end of the service, the beginning of the service of the song later, we're not trying to lead you into emotion. We're not trying to make you, work you up. Everybody just shout, hallelujah, glory to God. No, no, that's not it. I want you to give God his due dignity, his excellence, what is befitting for such a king. Now granted, he would have been, in one sense, much better off to made it himself. If he just wanted a great big place and gold and silver and stuff like that, that don't mean nothing to God. But if he wanted that, he'd been better off just done it himself. Because the gold would have obeyed him. I rebel. I say, why? Don't stand there looking at me like you don't. He'd have done had it a long time ago. But somehow it's part of the conquering. It's part of the mining process. You know, in the, in the day of the Renaissance, whenever Michelangelo and many of those masters, as they call them, it's like there was an anointing on the earth. And those men, they would be able to be sculptors and artists and, you know, all the things that they would do. And be able to go to a quarry and look at a certain piece of Carrera marble and pick out that certain piece. But yet, in their minds, see the image. I've told it to you before that I'd read, you know, many years ago where that Michelangelo had walked around a piece of marble and mm, someone was with him and looking at him, you know, just looking and he said, do you see what I see? Mm. He said, I see a rock. He said, I see an image 
wanting to be released. Hallelujah. We look at one another, and people look at us and think, really? That's the queen of heaven, huh? You'd think God could have done a better job. As a matter of fact, he couldn't have done no better. There is no better people on the earth than the bride of Christ. Praise God. Think of it, friends. In your home, in your car, on your job, you have this, this beautiful sanctuary. It, it's, it's so designed by the hand of the Almighty that in His eyes, it's beyond beautiful. It's beyond sublime, superb. It's beyond all of that. When a believer just says, Oh God, how great you are. Lord, I was lost and you saved me. I was a wretch and you found me, Lord. And there he comes, right down between the cherubims. Look at what you're doing. Lord God, I worship you. Let this be the mercy seat that his presence can come. But what if I don't feel anything? Do it anyway. But what if I do it a half a dozen times and I still don't feel anything? Do it anyway. You're called to worship. You're called to give our king I know, friends, it, 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 even for myself, Brother West, as I was looking at this, I thought, Lord, help me. Help me to comprehend that my praise, the praise of the saints of God, would have more value than an angel which has never sinned, never done wrong. So when we get down to pray, when we come to church, when you have a youth meeting, whenever we pray over food, we just give him a little bit of praise. You're driving down the road. This is his cathedral. Praise. He inhabits the praise. David said of Israel, but we know we are the spiritual Israel now. I thought it was pretty fitting what Brother Tim said there Sunday, if he inhabits the praises of his people. How much square footage does God have in your house? I want him to have a big one, don't you? I don't want to give him a closet where he's just got room to go in and turn around and come out. I want him to have such room. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Let's pray. David says, but thou art holy. Thou art holy. Now inhabitest the praises of thy people, Israel. My goodness, most of us will never be called into a king's castle. If we would visit Denmark or we would visit Norway and we would visit London, I would expect to be invited to have tea with the queen. She don't know me, I don't know her. 
I'm not really her rank of person. But think of it, the king of kings himself says, if you will sup, open the door and let me come in, I will sup with you and you can sup with me. Now that word sup means have supper. Lord God, children, can you imagine? Almighty God is inviting you for supper every day. Praise the Lord. But remember, his palace is not built out of Greek words. Hebrew words. It's not built out of just letters from the scripture. But he inhabits the praises of his people. He didn't choose theology. That would leave a lot of us out. But he chose praise, which leaves none of us out. Praise God. Well, I, I, I don't understand like you, Brother Donnie. I, I can't quote like you, and I can't. You don't have to. All you got to do is love him and praise him with all of your heart. Praise God. And when you do that, he comes into this cathedral, this palace that you have built for your king. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord God. Can we just raise our hands now? In the presence of the great king, Think of it. Who are we poor, humble people? Now, I grant it, there's some of you that live in nice homes and some of you don't even own the home you live in. You rent an apartment. You live in a place, a house that you rented. You ain't got a nice car, nice this or that. And you might feel a little intimidated by other people because they've got a really nice car and a really nice house. You wouldn't even want to invite them to your house because you'd feel ashamed because of it. But Jesus is so great that you can invite him to your little house with you and he will never shame you. He will never embarrass you. Whether you've been saved for an hour or 70 years, he will come right there between the cherubims. Let's liken it this way. Your left hand being the cherubim on the left, your right hand being the cherubim on the right, as it were, and you invite him by praise into the throne room, which is where? In your heart. And the king, hallelujah, is in his royal residence. He's not vain like men are. Think they're like gold and marble and this and that and the other. No. But he inhabits the praises of his people. We worship you tonight, Jesus. Now, friends, please take this into your heart that this is not just something you want to do when we have church. It's something you want to do every day of your life for the rest of your life. You say, Brother Donnie, you're kidding me. You mean this, this is what you, you're preaching for us to do? Yeah, because this is what God's Word said. Continually, every day of your life for the rest of your life. Even when I'm laying on my bed dying, especially when you're laying on your bed dying, because then you know he's going to prepare a place for you. If I bury my baby, if I bury my wife, yep, even then, because we have a promise of a resurrection. Praise God. 
praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You love him with all your heart, children. Oh, let me read this scripture to you again there in Habakkuk. Can we just go back, brothers? Let's just read it again. Ma, thank you, Father, for your word. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Let this be your song. The Lord God is my strength. I mean, it feels like maybe in your life you've come to that spot. Lord, I ain't got no strength on my own. Boy, I've been there many times where I felt like I just couldn't go another day. I couldn't go. I just couldn't put my foot in front of the other. But I'm glad I realized my strength was not from me. It was from the Lord my God. Let's just worship him a little before we go, Kimmy. Don't you think it would be fitting? We've preached about the king's house tonight. We've preached about his great dignity and his position. I think it'd be very fitting for us to invite him into the royal residence. And let's spend a little time with him before we go. Can you imagine how honored you would feel if you'd receive a personal invitation from the Queen of England to come and have tea with her, to come and see her house and her palace? My, you'd come back. Johnson City Press would want your picture. People would want to interview. How was it with the king? You'd be taking selfies of yourself all through the whole palace to prove I was in the king's palace, the queen's palace. Well, go ahead and take your spiritual, don't use your iPhone tonight, but use your spiritual, his phone. We need to get rid of I. Go ahead and take his phone and take a picture of you and the king. I was invited to nap to sup with the king. I was invited to come into his royal courts. Praise God, praise God. Sing something for us, Harry. Oh, praise the Lord. Won't you invite him? Lord, come and have supper with me. Come and have supper with me, Jesus. Come into this holy place that I've made for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.
you, Lord Even Jesus. when I don't feel it, I bless you, Lord. Lord. Hallelujah. When the oil is gone, when the fog is gone, when the stars are empty, He's Lord. From when the, the doctor said there's no hope, and He's Lord. He's when the devil said you'll Lord. never make it, He's Lord. of God rejoiced at the first creation. They rejoiced at the pinnacle when the creation was made anew, when the Lord God become in the form of a man. And who was it that rejoiced at that creation? The angels of God came down and sang to men. Now God has so redeemed fallen men that fallen man can come back and sing present praises rather in the presence of God. And when we, the redeemed of the earth, will stand together 
The angels of God will circle the earth and bow their heads as we sing the songs of redemption. Praise God for the king will be enthroned in his residency on the earth. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Blessed be the Lord God. We worship you tonight, Lord God Almighty. Oh, Jesus, we give you praise. I'm just going to take your words for this tonight, Lord. My praise doesn't look like opulence. My praise does not look like a great majestic cathedral. But I'm going to take your word for it. That it is more precious to you than a building overlaid with gold. Hallelujah. It is like the evening sacrifice. Hallelujah to God, our lips anointed with the blood of Emmanuel. Our praise sending forth is like the evening sacrifice. Before Adonai, we worship you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Father. May this change forever the way we look at praise. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. How many here with me tonight wants to praise him like you have never praised him and loved him before? Look, friends, I ain't talking about a charismatic praise team. I ain't talking about people, you know, doing all this and that and the other. I'm talking about divine protocol. Coming before God through the sprinkling of the mercy seat of the blood of God himself. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God bless you. I love you in the Lord. Service this weekend. Let's come back expecting the Lord to speak to us. Praise God. Come back and bring that little enthroned lake of fire that you have. Praise God. We said, Brother Donnie, I'm just not accustomed to this. I've never done it. I've never praised God at home. I've never praised Him at work. Well, let tomorrow be the beginning of a new day for you. Praise Him at school. I ain't talking about you being a fanatic. There's moments and you can do it. You can drive down the road. You can, whenever you're doing your whatever, you've got time, you can do it. Praise Him. Adore Him. Love Him. This is His protocol. Enter into his courts with thanks, gates and thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. This is his protocol. Amen. Sing some for us, Harry, and we'll be dismissed. Let's just bow our heads together and we'll, we'll pray together and then we'll, we'll sing and we'll, we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I don't think I have words to be able to express how I'm feeling right now. It's not feeling like a tingling running up and down my flesh. It's not like that I just feel the anointing so powerful that I'm about to run or shout. It's like something within me is about to explode. It's like that Roman candle that something has exploded here tonight in my heart and I've seen something like I've never seen it before. To think 
that each of us had the capacity to make a royal residence for the king. Jesus, may we do nothing, may we say nothing that would ever grieve your spirit away from that residence. May we live holy lives, consecrated lives, that we can walk with the king. What an honor. Go with us now, Lord. Bring us back this weekend. Father God, may these things change our lives. Lord, I've always been a worshiper. But I want to be more of a worshiper than I've ever been in my life. Not just in church, but every day. In hard times, in good times, no matter what's coming. If I get a news flash and a break on my phone, head for cover, nuclear bomb, heading right toward Johnson City, I want to be able to raise my hands and say, come Lord Jesus. I don't have to head for a concrete shelter because my bomb shelter has feathers. Feathers of my heavenly Father. We love you, Lord God. Go with your people now. Bring healing, bring encouragement, bring deliverance, Lord. We love you with all of our hearts. Go with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. How many can say, it was good to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. Praise God. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And it was nothing like this. It was a tabernacle, a tent, which he couldn't even go inside of. You imagine he was glad to go to that? Stand on the outside, you're kidding. They couldn't come in and sit down and sing. They couldn't feel the presence of God. But he said, I, I was just so happy. They even let me go up where it was at. I was just so happy I shouted on the outside. Oh, how grateful we ought to be tonight. That we're not just happy to come to this building, but we're happy to be a part of the building of God, the habitation of the Lord. God bless you, saints. I love you in the Lord. Sing something for us, Harry, and we'll go. Praise I'm going to praise him. Praise him. Oh, yes. Praise him in the morning. Oh, praise him. Yeah.
sun goes down Well, sometimes I feel like heaven comes down Sometimes I feel like heaven comes down Well, sometimes I feel like heaven comes down Heaven comes down Sun goes down. 